Welcome back to the Georgia 2022 show. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Easter is over, but the elections are coming. And my co-host, Christine Dolan, and I, today we're going to dig down into the local level. We've had a lot of big name guests, but the mission of this show is to really drive the grassroots and to explain to the American public what's happening down at the local level. So our guest today, first we have Sally Grubbs, who's the GOP chairman in Cobb County, very important county in North Atlanta. We have Anthony Burton, who was a district attorney, assistant DA in Chatham County, and now he's running for the recorder's court judge there. And we have Brent Beecham, who is a developer in North Atlanta, and will talk to us about inflation. So, Christine, before we get into that, uh, we have uh, a lot going on, and we're going to be in Ohio for the Ohio primary. Can you explain to our viewers what's going to be going on there? Well, it's exciting. Um Ohio's everybody seems to have their focus on Ohio for the May uh, early May you know, primaries next week. It's not the only state that's happening next week, but it's one of significance. Trump was in there last night uh, to help Vance, who's running for the Senate. To uh, Senator Portman decided not to run again, so this is this is an open seat, and it's open season in Ohio. There's a lot of people in Ohio that are very angry at the governor. Governor DeWine, who is up for re-election, he's being challenged in the primary. Um, there's some dirty tricks that just happened in the last 48 hours in uh, in Ohio within that race alone. There's uh, a man named Blythestone, who is a medical freedom guy, and he uh, actually has a place that's outside. He's a cattle rancher. He's, and when the governor was shutting down the state, he opened up his barn and let people show up to, to discuss what the situation, and he's thrown his hat into the ring. And the Republican establishment, of course, is going after anybody who wants to throw their hat in the ring and they're making false charges. And there's actually a hearing next Monday before the primary against Blythestone because people in the other camps have filed letters with the state election boards claiming that he did all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, for $300 on his finances and other people in the in the other political camps don't have to release their finances until, you know, several several weeks or a month afterwards. So it, it's, you know, it's a typical last minute. We're going to have Blythestone. We're going to be talking to Blythestone. Um, he is, he's got guts. He doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of money, but this is a guy who came out of nowhere that right now in the polls, the latest polls, you, you know, he probably has about 25, 26%, which is good. You know, it's a quarter of the Republicans that are voting. There's still about 16% or so that are undecided. So mm -hmm. this, is a, this is going into going into the gate to come out of the gate on the other side next week. And we're going to have full access. We're going to be at a table. Uh, and we're, you and I are going to be moderating a full event at the State House. We're going to be engaging with and talking to some of the members who are also up for re-election. And it's going to be educating the state house because they have some draconian pieces of legislation that need to be stopped and the, the to protect the children. And so we're Tell going us to about those real quick before we get Sally on. What, what is the legislation? That, before we get Sally, what is the legislation it's, that's coming it's, down? It's very complicated. It's about three or four yeah. different pieces of legislation, but it is as uh -huh. draconian as that that which we reported in California. And Bobby Kennedy is mm -hmm. going to be with us, and Kevin Jenkins is going to be with us, and mm -hmm. Pierre Corey, and um, Paul, Dr. Paul Merrick. So the gang's going to be there with a lot of the people who are from around the state of Ohio. Uh, discussing and to educate these people uh, how serious that some of their ideas are, because 
basically from what I'm hearing from people in Ohio, that a lot of the state legislators are afraid of Governor DeWine's power because he lied about some of the statistical evidence when he shut down the state. And he also was the first governor in the United States that called for a lottery if you got your vaccination. And now we've also learned that there is some connection in Ohio with some of the universities with the Wuhan lab. So that's a lot of wow. information why we're going yeah. to Ohio, but that's basically it. And we're going to be reporting live from Ohio and we're going to be reporting and breaking some stories of significance when we're there. Outstanding. We're in the process of developing more local papers like the Georgia record around the country. We're looking at Florida, uh, Connecticut, possibly, and, and New York City. It'd probably be the first out of the gates. Before we get uh, in, with Sally, I want to read something real quick from our sponsor, the Justice Society. Michael Doherty is the founder of the Justice Society. He is a former president and CEO of LabMD, which did work for cancer patients. Mike founded LabMD in 1996, then in 2008 was attacked by the U.S. government when a cyber criminal weaponized by the FBI stole data from his company. For years, Doherty was hounded by the FTC to the brink of destruction. Doherty spent most of the next decade defending his company against the charges. The early years of his entering and fighting in Washington, D.C. are recorded in his book, The Devil Inside the Beltway. Years later, he beat the FTC in court. In doing so, he has become the only litigant to challenge the FTC's basic authority. Every one of the 200-plus litigants before him, including some of the largest companies in the world, have settled with the FTC, creating an unquestioned and untested belief that the FTC and the DOJ has broad authority to regulate in these areas. What Doherty went through inspires him to educate others on how unspeakably corrupt government investigators are, how to fight them, and how to win. The Justice Society, a 501c3, is in its early stages, is in critical need of funds to staff the organization to litigate against the corrupt and to educate those who are fighting the feds and other huge bullies at their doorstep. The Justice Society aims to train Davids to beat Goliaths, thejusticesociety.com. And what Michael always tells me is you don't really worry about this kind of thing until the tree falls on you. So don't wait until the tree falls on you. Help Michael build the Justice Society at justice, thejusticesociety.com. Thank you. And we're waiting on Sally to come on. Uh, Christine, uh, what else? Uh, actually, here's Sally coming on now. So I'll bring her in real quick. Hi, Sally. Hey, Todd. How are you? Hi, Sally. So, uh, Sally, this is my co-host, Christine Dolan. Hi, Christine. And Hi, Sally. And welcome to the show. So, Sally, we've talked before. Last time we talked, you were getting some grief from uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and from some in the Republican Party because you wanted to support the political prisoners, Jan 6 political prisoners in, in, in D.C. But you've moved on, really, to uh, a petition on an election of integrity, which I found fascinating. Can you go into that, and then we'll talk about some other things. Sure, Todd. Um, basically, what we've done is it's a multi-partisan approach to do a petition to the state election board to have hand-marked paper ballots in light of the Halderman report, the Stark report, and other vulnerabilities that there are in the election system. Uh, they can implement the emergency balloting provisions to bypass the use of the BMDs so that we can have an attempt to um, have fair elections by using hand-marked paper ballots and then employing audit procedures to audit those ballots to be sure that the, uh, the voter intent is there, which you cannot do with the BMDs, so that people can actually review their ballot and know that what they have marked is the end result of their vote. So the BMDs are the ballot marking devices, right? So 
the problem in Georgia is that it creates a QR code, but you don't know what's in the QR code. Am I, am I correct? That's exactly right. So we are trying to get ballots where people can actually verify what their voting is, was their intention, uh, essentially. Yeah, actually, um, in the United States, more than uh, almost 70 percent of the states used hand, use handmarked paper ballots with electronic tabulating. So Georgia mm -hmm. is one of the few states that is not using that process, and therefore it makes it very difficult to audit the vote. I mean, you can look at the printed ballot that you scan into the machine, but because your vote is contained in the QR code, it is possible for those BMDs to be hacked and put something mm -hmm. else in the QR code without the voter knowing who they're voting for. And the other portion of it is absolute ballot secrecy, which we are guaranteed by the Constitution. So talk to us about the Halderman report. Uh, we've discussed it before, you and I. It's still under seal by Judge Tuttenberg, who incidentally allowed the case to go forward with against Marjorie Taylor, Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene this week. Um, has there any, been any movement, any discussion, anything come out on unsealing that report on the machines? Not unsealing yet. There are certain uh, people that can look at the sealed report. Judge Totenberg mm -hmm. is actually encur encouraged uh, election officials in Georgia to look at the report. Um, to mm -hmm. my knowledge, even though it's available to the Secretary of State, he says he has not read it yet. So uh, mm -hmm. he's it seem, would seem to me being uh, purposely uh, ignorant of what's going on. There is a declaration uh, that Halderman did that outlines a lot of concerning things. Um, there's enough concern that the report was sent to CISA and mm -hmm. they have not yet rendered a verdict, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, on the report, but it is very concerning. And the details of their recommendations or their observations from that report won't be due until immediately before the primary. So time is running out. And that's why we ask candidates who definitely have a vested interest in seeing that we have um, accurate balloting. Uh, we had, on the Republican side, we had 38 people sign on. There's still more coming in. I received another one yesterday since we submitted to the state election board. And again, this is a multi-partisan effort uh, with Democrats and Republic, uh, Republicans and Libertarians. So this isn't something that should be viewed as just a partisan effort. It is... Mm -hmm. It's about uh, our vote across the board for every citizen. And is the public paying attention, Sally? Or is it, is it just the people that are in the weeds of the political arena? Well, there are a lot more activists um, who are aware of what's happened with our voting process since 2020. So there are general citizens that um, are aware. And as it relates, Todd, to the situation with Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, mm -hmm. there's also relevancy there because if you want to talk about the ultimate voter suppression, uh, this group that is uh, put forth to take her off the ballot, um, I can't think of any bigger way to suppress the, the vote and to rob the citizens of Georgia's 14th district for being able to vote for the candidate that they want to see on the ballot. Yeah. Sally, I, I, I drive my audiences crazy, but I always say follow the money. Who's paying for that group that brought this to, to the courthouse steps? Well, you know, I, I found out who the group was on Friday, and uh, I still have a lot of digging to do with them. But they say they're nonpartisan, but there's just no way. They're taking too much delight in what they're doing. And I, like you, Christine, I'm very curious to find out who's behind it. Is it, you know, is it a Soros-led thing? Is it, um, you know, a fair fight thing? I don't yet know, but we will be finding out. When you also have to take a look at Perkins Coy, 
any of those people, a lot of, I mean, a lot of them have left that law firm and set up their own law firm, but they're not out of the business at any means. And the, and the headlights are on them right now because of the Durham investigation in Washington, D.C. about the Russian hoax. So, you know, it's all interrelated. Um, but, you know, when you when you do find out, do call us and, you know, definitely let's have, let's do a show on that because I am all about following the money. Well, absolutely. And if you look at um, it, with it happening, not only with Marjorie Taylor Greene, but with Paul Gosar and Madison Cawthorn, um, uh, there is a bigger picture here uh, as a multi-state approach and trying to get people off balance. And that's what happens in communist countries and um, these radical activists um, that have infiltrated the Democratic Party who are doing this. Um, it, you know, once this begins, that uh, you know, something you hear about happening in Iran or in Russia, you don't hear about that kind of thing happening here in the United States. It's a complete witch hunt. And the voters in the 14th district in Georgia really need to be aware of what's going on. Well, they, they all they have to take a look at it if they, if, if they don't see it in their backyard is Soros funded a whole bunch of um, prosecutors, state prosecutors, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, Mosby in Baltimore. Um, I forget the guy's name that's out in San Francisco, but his parents were part of the Weathermen. His father's still in jail. Uh, and, and it was basically to defund the police. And they, and they don't want to do prosecutions. So it's another way of going after the, what they call criminal justice, social justice. But it's, it's, going, it's going at the issues from every which way from Sunday. So it could it could be a law firm, it could be the DNC, it could be some black money behind it, it could be because they want to go after some MAGA people. Um, but it's it's there. The story's there. We just have to figure it out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Sally, let's uh, switch gears a second. Uh, the, the across the country, it's not just in Georgia, but there are uh, people inside the, the grand old party in the Republican party who don't want a lot of newcomers into the party. I know this is a fine line for you because you, you, you represent the party in Cobb County, but how do we, I guess, prevent the impression that the GOP is stopping new people from coming into the party by either, you know, withholding information or having, you know, private appeals that aren't really or by the party bylaws, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, in Georgia, it's been a real problem. How do you give us some, uh, give the Republican party members, you know, I guess comfort that the GOP is a big tent for everybody. Well, we've made great strides in that Todd. Um, we have uh, outreach events. Um, we're doing one in a couple of weeks um, in an area of town that basically has been abandoned pretty much by the GOP. Mm -hmm. Um, and I encourage people to come volunteer and become a member of the GOP it, uh, to come volunteer. And they like, sure, I want them to join. I want yeah. them to join and pay their dues and, and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, I want them to volunteer. And there are so many people over the years that um, have been turned away that I say, come on, we are the big tent party. I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric there that it's the big tent party. Um mm -hmm. But we're actually having the rubber meet the road in Cobb County. Um, we like to get everyone involved. And, um, you know, because it's about conservatism and it's about saving our country. It's not mm -hmm. about who gets what position next. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people ask me all the time, well, what are you going to run for when you're done being the chair? And I'm like, you know what, that's up, that's up to God. He put me here to begin with. And um, I never had aspirations of running for office. I'll go wherever I'm led to go. But in the meantime... I just want everyone to get involved because 
you know, you talk about nurturing your children and raising them and giving them what they need to grow. We also have to give this party what it needs to grow. And that is by getting people involved, um, respecting opinions. And, um, you know, it, it is going to take an army and, mm -hmm. um, we just have to uh, embrace people and we have to walk the walk that we talk about. Are you seeing uh, nationwide? We're seeing a, a big move from the Hispanic and black community to, I, I, I'm not so sure the GOP, but towards the America first agenda, I would say, I mean, are you seeing that in Georgia as well? Definitely. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and if you look at the Hispanic community and the African-American community, mm -hmm. um, I think there's been a very big wake up call, particularly since um, President Biden was elected, because they now see that uh, the words that they have been saying all this time are just simply not true. Mm -hmm. um, inflation it affects everyone, but it affects those in the lower uh, economic brackets more than anyone else. I mean, groceries is yeah. Uh, is an issue. Um, having money to um, pay for your children's education, the indoctrination, uh, they have they have woken up and uh, they realize that Republican values are what will save this country. It's not the uh, the big daddy approach of government. Mm hmm. Are you, Sally, are you seeing any uh, of the food lines in Georgia because of the inflation? I haven't seen food lines, but what I have seen is, you know, um, a shortage of baby formula. Um, Costco here locally in Kennesaw, Georgia, which is crazy to me. Um, they were limiting you to uh, two containers of baby for formula per purchase. So um, there are short supplies. Um, I was just at the grocery store before I came on and I was noticing certain things that are gone or that they they don't have. And you know, the medicine aisles and um, I'm a big pro manufacturing person. And for years I've been screaming, we need to bring back manufacturing to the USA after NAFTA went through so many of our mills that were, you know, and manufacturing companies that were just devastated from NAFTA, you know, it migrated from Mexico to other places, Sri Lanka and uh, Bangladesh and uh, and ultimately in China, um, we had so many of those big manufacturers leave and we need to bring all that home. Yeah. Georgia was a big, you were hit uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Ross Perot was right in 1992 when he ran, wasn't he? He was absolutely right. Absolutely. Talk, talk to us about, uh, the farming community in Georgia. I know Cobb's not really a rural community, but do you hear anything on how fertilizers in, impacting, you know, farmers or anything like prices going up? Well, it's real funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who actually is a farmer in Southeast Georgia mm -hmm. and um, they're, you know, when they mess with commodities, it also has a ripple effect and messes with the fertilizers and things like that. So they restricted production and then production mm -hmm. is there. And now there's kind of a glut on the market right at this time. Um, I will also say, I'm, I'm so glad to have you there, Todd, because what people hear in the mainstream media is just, it's just not true. And mm -hmm. um, so the farmers feel very unsettled. Um, and what you see on the news is not necessarily the reality. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, our fields have been affected so much by um, the imports that we've done over the years for Mexico, Colombia, uh, Brazil, you know, other agricultural areas. Mm -hmm. So it, we really that's why we need a strong leader in Georgia to also uh, work with our farming communities. Um, 
because when you are throwing things out that are domestically grown so that you can import uh, blueberries is one of them. I don't know if you remember the the story from last year with the blueberries that no. they had farmers in Georgia, I mean, in Florida that had grown blueberries and they basically had them rotting in the fields because of the imports that were coming in from Mexico. Wow. And people should be eating berries because of the COVID to build up their immune system. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So before we go, before we let you go, Sally, um, Governor Kemp recently almost pretty much gutted the election bill that was in the legislature. Do you have anything you want to say about that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. A lot I could say about that. Um, you know, it's a shame that it was put off into the last vote of the night. And, um, you know, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan made sure that it was deep sixed. Um, mm -hmm. There are still modifications that need to be made or we wouldn't be out here saying uh, that we need to do emergency balloting procedures for the election. Um, there's some good things that happened. Um, I was talking with the legislator the other day who I'd sent the, um, the petition to and I was told, well, I'm going to present more legislation uh, next session. I'm like, it's too late. We we have an election in a few weeks. It's going to be too late. Yeah. Um, so there's no sense of urgency. Um, it Sometimes you stop and you think, am I even living in the same world with these people? Um, it, it's just bizarre to me. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we uh, drop you out and bring on Anthony in a second? I just want to say thank you for what you're doing, Todd. It's great to meet you, Christine. And um, Same here, feeling preaching the truth. We got to get these people involved. The biggest thing I can say is regardless of what people think, we need to get out the vote. Everybody needs to vote. How do people help the GOP in Cobb County? Where they can, can they go? go to CobbGOP.org uh, and they can always email me Sal Grubbs, S-A-L-G-R-U-B-B-S at gmail.com. Um, I can tell you, Todd, I've had people reach out to me all across the country, even a couple of people mm -hmm. from Idaho. So I'm always available for Cobb County first. And then if I can help anybody else, I'm, I'm happy to help. Well, you're a star. You've been in war room a few times. So people know yeah. who you are now. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Thank you, Sally. We'll have you back down the road. Thanks so much. I'll see you guys. All right. I'm going to bring in Anthony Burton now. Hello, hey, Anthony. Anthony. Hey, how are y'all? Fine. Thanks. How are you? Doing well. I got a little nervous because I didn't get the link, but then I looked in my junk mail for some reason. It was there, so I got in just in time. Oh, perfect, perfect. First time. That's that. That happens sometimes. It just goes to spam. So, Anthony, you have an interesting story. You uh, you're running for the recorder's court judge in Chatham. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Am I correct? On that? Okay. So, but you used to be an assistant DA uh, in Chatham County, and you were let go recently. Can you tell us that story? Uh, sure. So I was hired in 2015 by District Attorney Med Heap. Um, I worked in the office throughout her term. Um, after the 2020 election, we got a new district attorney. Um, last June, I decided that I was going to run for this position. And I reached out to her and I told her, that that was the plan. And she had said, you know, good for you. Great that people are running. Um, well, as the campaign progresses, um, and you know, I have a Facebook and everything on there. And one of the things mm -hmm. I'm running on is law and order. And um, the day that I was let go, that morning, I had gone on, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's the neighbors app, it allows people in the community sure. to report on crime. 
So one of them was um, a local neighborhood, which is considered by many of the locals to be a better part of town. Um, Ardsley Park, someone had posted, um, just heard several gunshots. I've never heard this in this neighborhood before. Um, and I posted it to my page and I said, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, yeah, that, that, I grew up in Savannah and Arsley Park's a very beautiful park downtown. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think people there and all over are shocked with we've never had no crime, but there's a noticeable increase in crime just from 2019 to 2021. We've had a 30 percent increase in murders um, and just on January 1st of this year, we had three shootings and several deaths. So it's obviously. Is this, is this Anthony, is this just in the city or is it in the county? So um, what I'm talking about is city statistics, but um, obviously crime in Savannah is crime in Chatham County. Um, in the statistics for Chatham County um, also show a significant increase in crime. Um, which, you know, not to go back to what I said, but that's why I ended up running is I think mm -hmm. that the uh, big reason that we see such an increase in crime is because of what we've been doing when it comes to setting bonds. Um, but I can get more into that after I finish the story that you asked me. Yeah. Uh, so I posted about it. I said, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Crime is on the rise because we're not taking it seriously in the bond process. Um, vote for me May 24th help me help Chatham County. And she came by my office that morning. What's her name, by the way? Shalina Cook Jones. Okay. Um, so she came by my office that morning and at the time I didn't think it was confrontational, but she was like, you know, I saw that you were um, talking about increase in shootings. You know that that's not what's going on. And it's like, dead. no, I'm pretty sure the statistics are showing that Crime is up. Just, well, we have all these programs. We're doing all this good in the community. Like, you should talk about that. And it's like, so I'm going to keep doing what I have seen is working. I talk to people about how we're going to fix this rise in crime through the bond process. That's, you know, I'm going to continue to do what I think my uh, constituents would want to learn about. So she walks away. That's the end of it. Like I said, I didn't think it was very confrontational. Um, but that was last time I've heard from her. Um, 5.15 that day, I got a call from a secretary. Um, DA Jones wants to see you in her office. I was like, well, it's after five. I've left and I'm on my way to a neighborhood association for my campaign that everybody knows that I'm running. I'm not going to miss an event. Um, I can come by after or I can see her in the morning. And I said, well, I'll let her know. And then I get a call 15, 20 minutes later. And they said, uh, the secretary said, um, you need to come collect your personal things. You don't work here anymore. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So this is your boss in your profession, basically disagreeing with your political stance in your campaign. And she decided to fire you. Yes, ma'am. Is she a Soros? Would she be considered a Soros-funded DA? Do you know? Um, so um, I have to admit that before I got into my own political campaign, I was very uh, blinders on to anything else really in politics. Mm -hmm. So I don't know anything for certain, but mm -hmm. I do know that I've heard that she received $80,000 from a Soros backpack. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, 
Do you want to say what the name of that pack is? Because I think we should investigate this woman because if she's using a if she's using a government office for political purposes against somebody in retribution, I mean, th th this is, you know, th this kind of stuff is going on all over the country. I had a, a, a friend of a friend of this show um, and a, re a former reporter worked for a Department of Welfare in a state out west. She raised the question at the, at the office to other women who were older, asking them, so what do you think the definition of a woman is, basically because of the Supreme Court hearing? And she was canned. Yeah. So this, I, this, is this is very serious. Um, I agree. I, I don't know what the name of it would be. Like I said, I was um, regretfully very much not involved in the political field until mm -hmm. I started running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, so uh, I've done several records requests on her office since I um, have left, and I'm sure that I could find that out eventually. Right. Well, that's what we do. We're political reporters, and I'm not afraid of anybody to report anything, including George Soros and his army of, of thugs. It should be. This awesome. is out of control. Disclosure, though I do know I looked it up, and she has um, violated campaign law from what I can see and not reported anything this year, which even after you've been elected, because I've been having to get a crash course in this, um, even after your election, you still have to report the money that comes in. So this year, I think I have to do February, end of April, um, end of May or June, and then next year I have to do July and December if I win. Mm -hmm. um, but she has, last that I checked, she hadn't filed anything for all of last year. Hmm. So she's an elected official? Yes, ma'am. And what is her name again? Shalina Cook-Jones. Shalina Cook-Jones. Okay. So talk to us more about Chatham County and Savannah crime. Is it, are, <laughs> is it across the board? I mean, are you seeing other types of increases, burglaries, et cetera? So the increase in crime in Chatham County, um, it's not my opinion. It can be directly related to um, the way that we've changed the way that we do bonds. So for instance, one of the cases that I can talk about because this case is closed and um, thank goodness this person is now in prison. Um, he was arrested for trafficking a large amount of cocaine and having a firearm as a convicted felon. He had seven prior felonies, two or three of them violent felonies. And in 2019, um, we come forward and we have our bond hearing. And there's only four things you're allowed to consider as a judge when you're considering bond. Are they going to reoffend? Are they a danger to the community? Are they a danger to a victim or a witness? And are they going to flee the jurisdiction? Well, November 2019, we get together. I present to the judges this man's horrible record, um, his propensity for violence, his propensity to commit other crimes, and it's agreed that he's a danger to the community and he's likely to reoffend. And bond is denied. Um, then COVID hits, and there was basically a decision made somewhere that everyone had to be let out of jail. And when I say everyone, I mean I have personally seen murderers receive OR bonds, which OR means zero dollar. Um, it's just you sign a piece of paper, promise you'll come back and promise not to do anything else. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen rapists get these bonds, um, people in possession of child porn, one man who had enough fentanyl 
um, that he was trafficking to kill everyone in Chatham County four times over, was given one of these bonds. Um, and this gentleman that I was talking about that was trafficking cocaine, he comes up and I begged for them to not let him out. I said, you can look at this man's record and you know he's going to get out there and he's going to hurt someone. Um, bond is granted. Um, and I think he made it about a month before he took a metal pipe to uh, an elderly gentleman's head, busting his orbital socket for the $20 in crack money that he was owed. Um, and it was just instance after instance where you can see these people that their records show that they are a danger to the community and they will reoffend are being released and they are no surprise reoffending. Um, so that is in, um, you can look at the data and in my opinion, the largest drive in the crime increase that we've been seeing. Wow. <clears throat> Pardon me, Anthony. So I have a question about the emergency use acts on the state level, on the federal government level. <clears throat> Does that affect the bonds? I mean, Biden has just continued or extended the Federal Emergency Use Act. And my understanding covering when they let people out of jail back in 2020 was because uh, of, of their ages and whether or not that they would be safer outside than inside living in those type of quarters because of some underlying conditions. But at what point, what's the legal catalyst for telling these people they need to go back? So um, if I understand your question, you're wondering if either the COVID-related um, changes to federal or state law is the reason that these um, mm -hmm. individuals were released out. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is no. These were all made by local officials. Okay. Um, you can go now that I don't work in the district attorney's office anymore, and I've started my um, own firm to do a couple cases here and there. Um, not every county has done this. Um, it's actually a um, more on the rare side of things for people to have stopped taking crime seriously um, because they didn't, you know, they didn't want anyone in the jail um, to catch COVID and die. And I understand that to a degree, but if you look at, you know, a Venn diagram, you know, the two circles, the circle mm -hmm. of who in our community, at least here in Chatham County, is committing the most violent crimes and who is least likely to be affected by anything related to COVID. The Venn diagram is a circle. It's mm -hmm. 18 to 25 year olds. Um, mm -hmm. And in addition, even if it was for the purpose of saving lives, um, it's not just that they were releasing violent felons why I decided I had to run. Um, it was also because this new plan, for lack of a better word, when it comes to COVID, was literally killing people. Um, so I don't believe that we need to put drug addicts in prison. Um, in my entire career, I've put two people in prison, um, and it's because they asked when their only um, crime was possession of a drug. But... I do understand that there are tools um, that are available to us, and one of them are, uh, or one of them is, a drying out period. So you will see people come in, and uh, they will have, you know, a 
sorry if I get too graphic or anything like that. I've been a prosecutor for a better part of a decade. I don't know how to have a normal uh, time conversation. Let it rip, Anthony. Don't worry. <laughs> but they'll have open sores. They'll have, um, you know, they won't be able to stand up without nodding off in court. You can tell when someone is in the throes of addiction and when they don't have much time left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So prior to this new COVID protocol that really just didn't come from any type of actual legislation, it just comes from, you know, people doing whatever they wanted to do and having an excuse for it. Um, Prior to it, they would end up, these drug addicts have a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day drying out period in the jail. Um, we weren't keeping people in for, you know, just having addiction problems. We were making them dry out, trying to get them some help. We had what was called a 28-day program, which would help them with drug addiction. I don't know how effective it was, but I know that when we were doing this drying out period and making people go to this jail-sponsored um rehab it was very rare that i ended up having a overdose death of someone who was one of my cases hmm. 2020 happens and so we were doing one week in the office one week home so i would be in the office one week and then my admin would be in the office the next week every single week that i'd come back in there was an obituary on my desk from one of the defendants that we had who was now dead from um addiction related overdose. Um, wow. So I had several dozen and I was one of eight attorneys that handled these types of cases. So you're thinking, you know, conservatively, you're talking about a hundred people that died in the streets with needles in their arms so mm -hmm. that we would not have anyone die of COVID in the jail, which to date um, last I've wow. seen is still zero. Wow. Um, so Anthony, tell us about your campaign. What are your priorities? Uh, what do you, how do you want to make a difference in Chatham County? So um, I'm running on this radical idea that uh, we follow the law as written and as intended, and that's it. Um, it's, I, it sounds like a, a simple transformational direction, doesn't it? <laughs> I think that um, the words activist judge um, are some of the worst in the courthouse. Um, an activist judge is someone that's advertising that they're not going to follow the law. Um, it's not up to if you agree with what the law is. As a judge, you're just supposed to follow it. Um, but so that gets into I tell everyone that I'm running on law and order and I'm running on being ethical, experienced, efficient and effective. Um, the part that I say about ethics is we're just going to follow the law. Ethics for an attorney is one of the easiest things in the world because it's the only profession I know of where every bit of what you need to know ethics wise is written down. Now it's about 60 volumes um, and a bunch of case law to back it up, but that's all you have to know to be ethical is following the law. Um, so like I said, I'm running, I'm bringing back just following the law as is specifically with bonds um, experience. I have been a prosecutor um, since I was in law school, I interned as a solicitor general. My first job was in Douglas County, um, which is right over from Cobb. I saw the mm -hmm. tail end of the last guest that you had. Um, mm -hmm. I was there for a year. I came down to Chatham County in 2015. Um, I started out in recorder's court, did thousands of cases there, went to state court, thousands of cases there, went to superior court, thousands of cases there. Um, I tell people it's more than 8,000 because I started counting in our software, how many cases I had done. 
and it was taking so long and I finally got to 8,000 and I still had about half of the pages to go through. And I said, we're just going to say more than 8,000. No one else is going to be able to claim this amount of experience in criminal law. And the spot that I'm running for in reporters court is purely criminal. It doesn't do any mm -hmm. civil. It is where 90% of all cases, uh, criminal cases in Chatham County start out. So everything from a seatbelt violation to a murder, they all start there. And that judge, except with a few exceptions, is the one that sets the bonds for all of those cases. Wow. And then efficient and um, effective, you know, as I've gone over, I know how crime works in Chatham County. I know the tools that we're able to use, the organizations, programs, rehab, mental health, um, all those kinds of things that someone else that has not been a prosecutor, that hasn't been dealing with Chatham County crime for the better part of a decade is going to have to learn. Um, there's no learning curve with me. I can get in there day one and start doing everything that needs to be done, um, get rid of any type of backlog left over from COVID, um, and start making the right calls when it comes to bonds, um, sentencing, and the cases that records court handles, um, et cetera. So how do people support your campaign? Where do they go? So um, I have a website, electanthonyburton.com. Um, it has um, a donation button. I also have a, a Facebook page, which is um, Elect Anthony Burton, Recorders Court Judge. Um, and the biggest thing that people can do is talk to your friends and your family down here in Chatham. Um, so I've noticed, you know, I'll go around and everyone I talk to introduce them, tell them about the campaign. And we have a lot of tourists. Uh, just yeah. yesterday when I was walking around, I ran into two people, started giving them the campaign spiel and they're like oh well, we're from canada and i was like okay well you know you're here in chatham county do you have any friends do you have any family and like well we have a couple friends down here i'm like great tell them so you know we've mm. looked at the numbers um it's a midterm election we're expecting about thirty thousand people to vote everyone mm. that i've been able to talk with and tell them how we're gonna fix the problems that i see uh, my experience all of that they say they're gonna vote for me the only thing is, can I reach 15,001 voters? Um, so we have to, the vote needs to be turned out is essentially what needs to happen, right? Right. In Chatham. Interesting. So, and, so Anthony, I have a question. Does uh, Madam Cook Jones, your former boss, have a friend running against you? Yes, ma'am. What's that person's name? Uh, Joe Hoffman. Hoffman. Okay. Was Joe Hoffman in the race before you and before you told her that you were running? Um, no, I declared before anyone else did. Okay. So was he in the race the day that she canned you? Yes. Hmm. That's a reason. Okay. That's a very valuable piece of information, Anthony. Thank you. We'll take a look at her. We'll have you back on, Anthony, yeah. uh, as your campaign progresses. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you all so much. Have a good day. You take too. care. Bye. So, Christine, before we bring Brent on, I uh, wanted to tell people my dad passed recently and I inherited mm -hmm. a small dachshund. And uh, it's a great little dog, but uh, she always likes to jump in the bed. So I went to MyPillow.com and I ordered a dog bed from Mike Lindell. And uh, now she only wants to sleep in the dog bed. They're so nice. So wow, that's a training. That's a trainer. That's a trainer. I wonder if Mike even realizes <laughs> that, you know. I so, like to uh, my back, and now we've got we've got a pillow for the dog, a bed for the dog. That's great. So 
people can go to mypillow.com, use promo code CDM, and get the best discount for the dog pillows. And with that, I'm going to bring on my former, well, not former, my classmate from the Air Force Academy, Brent Beecham. Welcome, Brent. Hey, how you doing? Brent is a real estate developer in North Atlanta, but he's also the only guy I know who's flown <laughs> fighter jets for the U.S. and Israeli Air Forces. So welcome to the show. I appreciate having me on. So you're a developer. You have seen real time on, on our chats. I, I see you frequently commenting in an uh, upset way about material costs going up. Talk to us about what's going on with inflation in Georgia, especially with commodities. Yeah, we've, we've started, um, we started several buildings in uh, late summer last year, and we're starting to see price increases. They're as high as uh, 10 15%. Uh, things like windows, um, we saw a 27% increase from the time we began the project to the time that we uh, actually ordered them. Uh, probably more importantly is the delay in arrival of those things. You know, we used to get windows in six to eight weeks from the time we ordered them. Now they're taking 26 to 30 weeks. Um, and these are, you know, high-end custom windows that, that wouldn't see like, a large demand from like lower end builders. Um, this is this is very high quality stuff. They just they just can't keep with their uh, their demand because everybody's buying whatever they can find. Um, we've had stuff like concrete. Um, we can't get it this week. Uh, the plants are shut down, or you know uh, we can only give you one load out this week. Uh, you'll have to wait another week, another week after that to get the next two. So it's it's really. It's it's a it's price, it's timing, and then there's a shortage of labor all around. Um, it really it, it's it's pretty big impact on us. It's delaying us, you know, ten percent, fifteen percent over over the time of the project. Are you are you able to pass these costs on the customer? Yeah, um, we're we have to pass along in, in this case. We changed our strategy. We went from a um, we were going to sell uh, all the buildings uh, as we built them uh, in order to be able to incorporate the the delay the delay in time and the added cost. We're going to have to hold on to these uh, properties anywhere from five to ten years to build to make up the difference in cost to to meet our performa. So it's a it's a pretty big impact. I mean, we literally have to just completely change our our pro forma models to be able to to um, incorporate this additional cost. Where are the cost increases? Um, I, I think it's mostly. I'm sorry. It, I think it's mostly labor, um, a lack of labor, and then there's so much demand right now. The the building industry, um, going back to 2008 debacle. Um, I think they feared um, ever trying to rebuild uh, back to the industry that they had previously. So as a result, they kept their uh, factories at something that would be 100% capacity um, when building probably hit about 80 or 90% of like the uh, a natural rate, uh, especially for home building. And because home building has exceeded that um, that minimum threshold that they thought was the the, the best economic model uh, for America that really stemmed back from six or eight or 10 years of, of no building. 
and then they're now trying to catch up. But the factories, they absolutely refused to, to open up a new factory. And I, I don't blame them because they lost billions of dollars in having to shut down plants. So they'll never open them again. So in, until supply starts to catch up, uh, you see this particularly in, in, uh, in, home, in, in the home building, not in commercial uh, part. But like in Atlanta, um, there's maybe a one month supply of uh, new mm-hmm. homes, uh, homes that are existing homes are selling on average right now six days, and they're and they're going anywhere from ten to twelve percent over asking price. It, it's it's an absolute absolute zoo uh, in Atlanta. Brent, do, do you, did you see this um, really shift and pivot in, in the last six months, or is it just is it is it the the slow boiling frog since COVID? Oh. Well, and I, I think like we built through COVID. We didn't ever, we didn't stop. And, and none of my suppliers or uh, um, subcontractors stopped. But I believe that maybe national home builders uh, who also have a big, you know, impact on, on commercial construction, I think they kind of hesitated. And, and then all of a sudden you have this, this mass ramp up. The big, I think the biggest thing is that uh, people now, as a result of inflation, are absolutely running to put their money in fixed assets. And whether that's a single family home or a commercial building, uh, it, it's the only place you can put your money. And even with 5% interest rates that you're starting to see for mortgages on a 30-year mortgage, that's still like minus 5% in real terms. I mean, we're gonna, we'll see 10 or 12% inflation before the, the end of, of this month, I'm, I'm certain. Um, so I, I think the inflation thing is probably the one thing that's really, really driven um, the, the, the run to assets. There's a lot of people that are very angry about the inflation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And it's something you can't, you can't ignore because you see it every right. time you go into a grocery store, you pull into a gas station, it's, it's smack in your face. Right. I, I think I think even like in whether it's the construction industry or the service industry, we lost so many people who left um, who left the industry and went home and lived in mom's basement. Um, and they don't want to come back because it's a lot easier to stay in mom's basement, and play video games. Than it is to go to work. I think we're going to have to find a new way, particularly in service industries. You're going to have to find a way besides minimum wage or tips only. Um, I, I think you'll have to go to your, uh, almost a European model where you pay salaries to people and you're going to have to, you know, pick up salaries to the degree that entices them to come back out. And construction, you know, um, it, nobody in America today says, I'm going to grow up and be a plumber. And yet plumbers make more money than I make, I think. Um, and and that's something that if we don't get a hold of our, our um our labor pool and convince them that working for Facebook or Twitter is not as good as it seems. And maybe they ought to go do something where they can own their own business someday as a plumber, electrician, heating and air guy, a framer. Um, we can't rely on foreign imports. Um, we can't keep bringing people from outside the country to, to fill these roles. Um, and that's, tech, that's really in truth. That's what's happened now is there's still a lot of people coming from, from Latin America to come work here. Well, the numbers are coming across the yeah. border. Yeah, no. Yeah, and, you know, and there was a time. It's again. I there was a time where you could find the guy who's working that you know he's from Mexico and you know he's not here legally, 
And he would say, yeah, I'm going for Christmas and I'll be back somewhere between January 2nd and January 3rd. He could time coming across during the Trump administration. I can tell you right now, those guys were terrified to go home because they didn't know that they could ever get back. Now they're back to the same, you know, yeah, I'm going to take vacation. I'm going for spring break down to, you know, to Columbia. I'll be back, you know, next week. It's it's crazy to to see what they're doing on the border. Well, Brent, uh, I hit your mute button because we've got a real bad echo. But uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, we want to have you back on on a regular basis to talk about what's happening in Atlanta. Um, Where can people find your business? At... um, Basically, marketdistrictcrabapple.com is where my biggest project is, um, and we got some great businesses in there. We're putting in restaurants and nightclubs and all kinds of great businesses. So, yeah, come see us. Thank you very much, Brent. We'll have you back soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brent. So, Christine, anything else you want to tell the people of Georgia before we... Uh... No, I think that they need to pay attention. May 24th, it looks like there's there's going to have some of the same issues there um, in terms of the, you know, party disparities and and also the election integrity and the ballots. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the gerrymandering is going to affect people. I mean, one thing we forgot to mention is that Warnock put out um, an ad that was really racist towards Herschel uh, this week. And... um, it's disheartening when when we see people play this race card. It, it, this is this needs to stop in America. Yeah, this, people, I agree. this needs to stop. Um, it was much better prior to the Obama regime coming in. I mean, he really juiced the whole racism thing. Well, it, but it, it's 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 degrading, um, and it's it's it doesn't it doesn't help the quote unquote American experiment of the republic, um, yeah. and it's and it's really disheartening when you see a member of Congress and member of the Senate, I'm sorry, the U S Senate, uh, who's a black man play that card against another black man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week with an exciting show on the politics of Georgia as we approach the November 22 election. Thank you. And we'll see you from Ohio. Yes. (laughs) 